0: Hello and welcome to Rewildology, the show that explores conservation, travel, and rewilding the planet. I'm your host, Brooke Mitchell Norman, conservation biologist and adventure traveler. Have you ever noticed how the natural world has solved every issue that's been thrown at it? No matter the problem, nature finds a solution in its own creative and passive way that complements life and its principles versus going against them. Looking at the concrete jungle around most of us and the problems our current design methods have caused, how do we adopt more of this nature-centered mindset? How do we take the solutions that nature has already developed and apply them to the issues we face every day, no matter the scale? These questions are at the center of biomimicry and the topic of today's episode. To teach us all about biomimicry, today we're sitting down with Andrew Metter, biomimicry expert and educator for the Biomimicry Institute. In college, Andrew studied chemistry and physics and began his career as a nanotechnologist after graduation. While he loved being at the forefront of science, he missed social interactions, I don't blame him, and decided to become a formal educator. After 10 years of teaching in all sorts of science courses, he switched his career after learning about the field and is now an educator for the Biomimicry Institute and is currently working towards his master's in the field. Having both strong science and education backgrounds, Andrew is the perfect person to teach us all about what biomimicry is, what it isn't, and how it can be used to solve design problems on any scale to create a greener, more interconnected world. All right, friends, please enjoy this conversation with Andrew. Well, hi, Andrew. Thank you so much for sitting down with me today and going through this insanely cool topic of biomimicry. But of course, like so many of us in this field, it took you a few tries to land on what you're doing today. So please, Andrew, where does your journey begin and how did you get to today?
1: Yeah, Brooke, I'm excited to be here and I'm even more excited to talk about biomimicry. So, long story short, I graduated with a degree in chemistry and physics, and I was a nanotechnology research scientist for four years. And then I was a chemist at a bottled water company doing quality assurance chemical testing for biological and chemical contaminants, and then doing physical testing on bottles and the other products that we manufactured. After that, I loved being on the cutting edge and the frontier of science, but it was kind of tearing at my soul a little bit. And I realized that I really thrive on social interactions. So I went back to school. I became a qualified educator. And then for over 10 years, I was teaching in public-private charter schools, middle school and high school, pretty much every different environment you could think of, teaching STEM, That's chemistry and physics, engineering, robotics, environmental and earth science. And now, the last 16 months, I've been enrolled in a master's program at ASU for a master's in biomimicry, and I am working for the Biomimicry Institute. And that has just been the most enthralling and impassioned era of my professional life so far.
0: Mm. But how did it actually come into your life? Like I had a very specific friend that's like in a startup and everything. And he's like, bro, check out this biomimicry stuff. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And then of course I looked into it and I was like, oh, this is actually really freaking cool. But that's how I discovered biomimicry. Mm-hmm. So how did it enter your life?
1: I first heard about it when I was working in nanotechnology. And so we were using a biological substrate And some chemistry involved. Uh, There are applications in aerospace. And so through my researching of the primary literature, trying to read up on different topics, trying to get ideas, I came across this idea that nature's materials, its processes and its systems are way more efficient than any of the synthetic or concocted man-made archetypes. They all fall so short of the efficiency of natural materials and natural processes and systems. And so I was exposed to that idea. Then a couple of years later, the term biomimicry actually umbrellaed that idea. And ever since i learned about biomimicry at that point, I was obsessed. There's this field that is design thinking that is very robust scientifically using engineering practices, and you're reimagining what the world could look like. And it's all in this grand scheme to increase sustainability and to eliminate harm from humanity's presence to the environment.
0: So then to you, what would be like a definition of biomimicry? I feel like we just listed off a whole bunch of aspects of it. So then Mm -hmm. I guess, what is it?
1: the best way that i've found to explain what biomimicry is is it's adapting and applying nature's solutions to our problems
0: that's perfect (laughs) and i guess on the flip side of this too since you come from a very unique background where you've also seen science in the other way what is biomimicry not I'd imagine that this field is often confused with other terms or ideas. So mm-hmm. what, what isn't biomimicry?
1: So there are a couple of facets or subsections that get confused sometimes for authentic biomimicry. And one of those might be bio-inspired design, which there is a lot of cloudiness and fuzziness surrounding that term specifically. It means different things to different people. Some people use that interchangeably with biomimicry, but let me add a little bit to the definition of biomimicry. For biomimicry to be authentic, for it to be genuine and real, there are three components. So there's the emulate, that's the applying nature solutions to our problems. But then there's also an ethos, it's a, it's a thread that weaves through everything that we do in biomimicry, and it's essentially do no harm. We're practicing biomimicry not to create some greater futuristic technological society. That is kind of a goal, but the goal is to eliminate harm to the environment for humanity and the rest of the species on Earth to thrive hand in hand, not humanity's thriving at the expense of the environment. And so that. Ethos is really important. And if your design is not solving a problem, it can be considered a little frivolous. It can be a little pinky out, highbrow. And there's also a component of reconnect, which is if you're not being drawn closer in connection to nature in a deepening relationship to the natural world, then you're falling short of authentic biomimicry.
0: That makes total sense. And I think, too, maybe just for context as well, where did this field come from? I mean, because it sounds like we've probably have been doing biomimicry for a long time, if I would have to guess. And, but it's just now has a term, if you know what I mean, like, it's just now a Mm -hmm. field that we're working in, you're even getting a master's in it, there's an amazing institute all dedicated to it. So where did it come from?
1: There's one answer to that in two parts. And so biomimicry is an ancient practice. There's a lot of indigenous and traditional environmental knowledge that shows biomimicry being practiced in the past. And then recently in the late 90s, early 2000s, Janine Banyas, who's credited with the coining of the modern term biomimicry, And then also a couple other people like Dana Baumeister who is over the master's program that i'm in they really brought biomimicry as a practice as the emulation component how can we build this and integrate it into society in a way that eliminates harm so there's a deep deep history in human society and civilization and then there's this more modern spin on it which is the more engineering and design facet of it
0: Mm, yeah that makes that makes total sense it's amazing how sometimes it just takes us just like looking into the past and being like oh my gosh we've been doing this forever like let's let's go back to maybe more traditional ways or ways of thinking it sounds like because just like going through all these different examples which now i want to switch to it's amazing when we just look and observe in the natural world, what is actually there and how can we apply it? So maybe if you could elaborate that a little bit more. Um, So how are you using biomimicry and applying it? Maybe if you have like a particular research question or something, so how, how are you involved in the study of this field?
1: I'm in a phase right now where I'm trying to learn as much as I can from Dana, from the instructors at ASU, from my bosses and my coworkers, And I'm really trying to get it right, master it myself, but that's manifesting in several ways. My work is predicated upon a lot of educational best practices. So I will lead a webinar for business professionals explaining biomimicry and how they can get started. Or I'll create a lesson taking a biomimetic innovation that can be used by California high school teachers to implement biomimicry and next-generation science standards into their classroom. So my job is really packaging biomimicry in many different ways to make it palatable to different audiences.
0: Mm. Oh, it's so important, like what you're doing right now. <laughs> <laughs> and this is another form of that, the podcast form with a long-form audio. It's very, very powerful as we've definitely come to see in the education space. So- So what are some of your favorite examples of biomimicry that's like from all the way down, like the the species and maybe how it was discovered and then how we're applying it? I would love to hear some different ideas of how we're doing this.
1: I think the most ubiquitous example that anyone could understand would be Velcro. Mm. Velcro really is the, the first widespread, wide-scale manufacturing biomimetic innovation. And there is a, a scientist and just a curious person who went out walking with his dog and he noticed these burrs that had these kind of hooks stuck on the dog's fur. And he was initially annoyed by it, he had to clean them off you know then there's a mess when he got home but he put them under a microscope and he noticed this hooking structure and so that that specific form so he was copying the shape the form of this plant strategy to spread its seeds and one thing i would say is we can look to nature and we can learn from nature, we can learn a lot of things. I think some of the most exciting lessons from nature are simple physics and chemistry lessons. And so one of my favorite examples with birds is the Shinkansen bullet train. So there was this bullet train in Japan that was entering tunnels and because it was traveling at high speeds, pressure waves in the air were building up on the nose. And then when the tunnel inevitably ended, the pressure waves would expand, it would create a sonic boom, hmm. and it was very disruptive to the communities and you know to the animals that were nearby too. The lead engineer happened to be a bird watcher and he thought back and as he was watching a kingfisher, a kingfisher has a beak that slips into the water nearly without splashing and it's able to catch fish. And he saw that and he thought, okay, so this is entering without creating waves. So how can our train enter a tunnel without creating waves? And this is also a really important lesson in bio theory that I like to explain. It's not just copying and pasting a beak onto the front of a train. That still falls short of learning from nature, because in doing that, you've not understood the physical principles of why the beak accomplishes its function. So what they did was they performed hydraulic studies, aerodynamics studies on the beak to figure out how is nature, how is the Kingfisher doing this? How can we take this lesson instead of just the shape and how can we apply it to our train situation? And so when they did that, It saved, you know, 13% more electricity, travel times got cut down. There were all these residual side effects for sustainability that were good for business too, because they took the time to notice this amazing animal.
0: Oh, that's wonderful. Do you have any more examples that you love to share? I could could listen to these all day. (laughs) Do you have any more?
1: (laughs) Um, I would say one more strategic example is a company called New Iridium. And because of my chemistry background, I'm very passionate about green chemistry. And even from going through a chemistry program, that was never a consideration in the classes that I took that were required for my degree. Mm -hmm. It was never end of life considerations for the chemicals we're using. It's always, you know, kind of, how can you be a good little industrial chemist and not rock the boat? Mm -hmm. Uh, And obviously I'm adding a little bit of narrative there. However, that's, that's true to my experience and how it felt. And so New Iridium is this company that's inspired by the way that plants are able to photosynthesize. So they're converting solar energy into chemical or food energy. And they've created photocatalysts. So photocatalysts catalyze reactions by absorbing light energy. And why this is so important, especially in green and sustainable chemistry is because there's a saying called heat, beat, and treat. So we heat things to outrageously unnatural temperatures to conduct reactions. We beat them together, harsh collisions that aren't found in nature. Nature uses enzyme-like reactions, which are very uh, complementary. They fit together by shape. They're not just kind of figure eight demolition derby crashing the molecules together to make the reaction happen and then treating them with harmful synthetic chemicals to accomplish your purpose. So new iridium was inspired by how plants are able to leverage energy from the sun to photosynthesize, to go through their photosystems. And if you ever go outside and you touch a plant, it might be warm. But it's not going to burn you like many of our industrial chemical bats that exist in the chemical industry would. And so that's a really great innovation that's a, a little more specific and requires a little bit more knowledge of science than just saying, we put a beak on a trade. But it's nonetheless very important for the future of humanity, for us to be able to leverage natural energies without heating, beating and treating and inputting all this excess energy, which is often tied to fossil fuels that's releasing stored carbon back into the atmosphere. And yeah, so they've created these proprietary catalysts that absorb energy from sunlight, and then that catalyzes the reaction.
0: That's incredible. Like, that's, that's phenomenal. <laughs> like, man, I wish I would have had some of that in my biology and physics and all those labs that right, I took.
1: <laughs> right. I kind of have this secret mission <laughs> to transform high school biology standards so that biomimicry is an integral part that's going to be a lifelong achievement if it ever happens but that would be (laughs) incredible well i mean that would
0: just make sense like you said you were a teacher for a long time as well and i went through Mm. so many labs and my just my studies because you know i have a very rigorous science background and like Man, they sucked. Like, there was nothing fun Mm. about them. It's just like, I have to get this grade. Like, how many, like, friggin' OCHIMS do I need to take here? And, like, just to get a reaction that I'm supposed to get, even though science never actually works that way. But just to think about it from, like, a, like, an impact standpoint, you know, someone, maybe a child or just someone growing up would be so much more involved in science mm-hmm. if they were just taken out to nature and like, look at the natural experiments that are going on all around you. Cause it's constant. Like you said, like, those are just a few examples of things that yeah. we've been able to apply to do, to answer new things, but like, God, just imagine how many minds could be fostered. And for like the next wave of sustainable development, I'm with mm-hmm. you. Do you need support? I don't know how I can help you, but I will figure
1: out. You know, that that brings up an interesting point. And I have the privilege of giving a TED talk in November. Oh yeah, you do. (laughs) Yeah, I do. Mm -hmm. And one of my key points, maybe this will whet everyone's appetite for what I'm gonna say. I just took a drink of water too. It's essentially, you know, when we talk about sustainability, a lot of people feel like we're coming for your air conditioning. We're coming for your bug repellent. You need to be miserable because the way that we're living is polluting to the environment. And instead, what we're actually trying to say is when you look out at the world, when you survey society, I want you to see a world of first drafts that we have not arrived yet. We have not yet eclipsed the potential for environmental life-friendliness in our designs. Our society does not speak the evolutionary language that nature understands. And so looking at the world as first drafts, whether that's construction materials, whether that's the passive infrastructure that fills our cities and in which we reside, whether it's the processes and the systems that run our cities, they're all first drafts because we have so much to learn in cohabitating with nature, like I said, in a way in which nature and humanity are able to both thrive.
0: Mm. And that's a perfect segue into what my next question is. And in your opinion, what does the future look like? Like of biomimicry and maybe even as this idea grabs more and more traction, what does the future look like
1: biomimicry is such a young field like this would be similar to being around in france when chemistry was being developed this is brand new stuff and we're still figuring things out it has an amazing foundation and we would say there are natural technologies and then there are man-made technologies right nature has technologies And that's the technology that we want to adapt, emulate, we want to copy. We are biological beings. Even though we have electricity inside of us, we're not electronic digital beings. And yet, there is so much of human society that I feel that we are building and constructing that is digital, that is electronic, that is causing us causing our biological selves to atrophy in some ways. Hmm. Like just take the metaverse, for example, I'm a fan of the metaverse, I am not downing the metaverse. However, if we consider just the impact of screens on human physiology, human emotional wellness and well being the world that we are constructing for ourselves, is not fit for us, we have to bend over touch down to to exist in this modern society that we're building. And so instead of this future that is just dominated by the metaverse and and what that represents from what I just said, I think there's a way for us and for our technologies to do well for our biology, to do well for our bodies, to integrate into the rest of the biosphere in a way that doesn't cause us to leave behind any of our humanity or biological nature
0: that was freaking beautiful yes i agree so much just like (laughs) so i grew up Mm. in the middle of nowhere Mm -hmm. and it's funny how life is so cyclical but i'm back in the middle of nowhere Uh, but now i'm in the rocky mountains and just being out of a major city and up here i can't put into words how i feel I can't, I can't put into words how I feel, how much better I feel. Mm. I mean, right now, maybe even someone listening, you can hear the rain. It's it's raining right now. I'm like outside of a beautiful lake. There's trees everywhere. I'm surrounded by wildlife. So to have so much nature around me again, I just feel better. Everything about me, my my mentality, like it just all feels so much better. And, and to think that there might even be a way that it could be even better so like is there a way that we as individual people can maybe put more biomimicry in our life is there a way that we could possibly do that or some technologies coming out or something else because i'm just thinking like i mean yeah i'm renting this ca- cabin but what if i want to build something like should i like if i buy a piece of land i'm like i'm putting down roots finally it's 30 years that i still haven't done that but like i want to put down roots somewhere like, how can I be more biomimicry minded when maybe that day comes in my life or even tomorrow? How can I be more biomimicry minded?
1: Yeah, there's a, a set of principles that kind of serve as accountability for our designs. So once you go through and you come up with an idea, you've got a prototype, so you're going through the checklist. Okay, am I hurting any animals in the production of this product? Any animals in the you know end of life cycle? yada, 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 you're going through all these considerations. And biomimicry 3.8 has this list of life's principles that are used as these kind of, the governing practices that life uses to create conditions conducive to life. And so one of them is use modular and nested components. And the idea here is essentially in a forest, when the trees fall, they're not trash, it's not litter, the trees are not polluting the forest. And there are these widespread chemicals or these modular nested components that can be repurposed and reused somewhere else in the ecosystem. So there are atoms in the leaves. They get broken down from animals, you know, trampling on them. But then there's also the tritivores. There are decomposers who are able to break that down and reuse it. So it's not trash, it's not waste. And so thinking of things in in that way, looking at how life actually does that through life's principles can be a really easy way. Like I, It makes me think of a low hanging example would be like a Frank Lloyd Wright house. When Frank Lloyd Wright was designing a house, he was considering the environment in which the house was being built everything from where is the sun going to be at different parts of the day you know morning breakfast nook versus in the evening when you're reading in the living room what are the the air channel pathways so you can passively regulate the temperature inside it's really working with nature instead of stomping your feet putting your stake in the ground and saying we're gonna keep this house at 70 degrees no matter what um (laughs) And again, nothing wrong with that, nothing wrong. But in our next draft of human society, we need to consider all of these life's principles. Like imagine a world where you order something from Amazon, there's plastic wrap around it, and you can just slap that on the wall and it adds insulation to your wall, or it fortifies that wall. It's something that had one purpose and it can be repurposed and functional in the next phase of its life.
0: Wow. So moving beyond just like recycling, like this is like this is like next level beyond that is kind of what I'm <laughs> <Yeah>. hearing. <laughs> yeah.
1: It's like recycling 5.0.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: And we're still at
0: 1.0, but we're working yeah. towards the, the 5.0. Yeah. Because I just think about that all the time, like when it is finally time for me to sit down, you know, there's always there's there really is a movement in like home building and just to be more green and like more with the environment, especially in these more wild places. And unfortunately, now that still seems to be pretty out of reach for most of us that make a normal amount of money. So hopefully <laughs> that'll change as more of our consumer base keeps asking for these kinds of things. And mm-hmm. I think since you are just so in the field, maybe. Now, or I guess, I guess back to the future question, where does biomimicry have the most potential you feel like?
1: This is kind of a sappy answer, but
0: I like sappy answers.
1: (laughs) For me, biomimicry has had the most potential in my spirit, Mm -hmm. in my heart. I had an animal encounter in nature and it made me realize My whole life, I feel like I've been so insulated from nature to the extent that I felt like an outsider. I felt like a stranger. I felt like I was trespassing anytime I went outside because of how comfortable I was in the built environment. And some people might not understand why I'm tearing up and I'm I'm crying about this, but that was such a, a fundamental shift in my life to go from realizing oh, I have like no connection to nature to now exploring and rebuilding that connection and, and not just rebuilding it, but actually feeling, experiencing Mm -hmm. benefits from that connection. It's why I think biomimicry is the greatest thing since sliced bread, (laughs) because (laughs) the scientific method has an impact on your ego. It has an impact on your pride. biomimicry has had a profound impact on my spirit, my heart. It's drawn me back into nature and into connection with the rest of the natural world. So that would be my sappy answer.
0: Oh, that was beautiful. Oh, thank you, Andrew, for sharing that. Like, I feel like most of us in our career has had a similar moment. And I know I have, mine had a lot of F-bombs involved, but <laughs> was I I've definitely have been there too. Thanks so much for sharing that. And as you were saying that, and, and this encounter that you had with this special animal, like it, I can't wait for more of those. Like, just think of just that that's, that's how we used to live honestly like it wasn't until like the last 100 200 years that we've been so disconnected so insulated and now look how many problems we have in our society in every way shape and form from our our development you know our cities like i said i just my personal well-being just from moving i've been only here a week and like how different i feel being outside of the city and just think if everybody had that experience or just the ability to just go observe nature for a while, just for fun, like just because, and just to see what happens. That's when all these great, you know, breakthroughs happen. Just like you said, like Velcro Holy crap, that's so freaking cool. And like an earlier episode that I had done by by Mimicry, which we actually connected over, which is Mm -hmm. so wonderful. You know, there was this amazing example of this mall, literally a shopping mall in Africa that is designed off of a termite mound. That's Mm -hmm. incredible. What? Like that's so incredible, and just think if every single building was just designed like that, and then like going and seeing a termite mound, or you know a similar version here in North America or South Amer- South America mm-hmm. or anywhere else in the world. So, yeah, I'm really excited to see where this field goes, like because it's still so new. Like you said, it is still so new, mm-hmm. and I, I want to stay on you for a while, so. This question is completely different, but really fun. So we've been on like Instagram friends now for a while, and you Mm -hmm. seem to be really good at balancing work and fun. You just, I don't know how you do it, but you seem to be really good. How do you do that? (laughs) Like, honestly, for those of us that I... I don't know why I need to get better at like having fun. And you seem to be a pro at it, but you're also like, you're working on your master's. You work for the biomimicry Institute. Like you're doing a million things and yet you still have a lot of fun. Um, How do you do that?
1: Um, (laughs) For every single person listening who is not familiar with me. (laughs) um, (laughs) So yeah, I work for the biomimicry Institute and their education team. I'm, earning my master's in biomimicry right now online through Arizona State University. I'm a scuba diver. I volunteer dive at the Tennessee Aquarium. So I dive, clean the tanks, feed the animals. I'm an avid skateboarder. I do music production, make music, and I love getting outside. You know, there's lots of things that I'm interested in. I would say also, I just got added to the board for the Chattanooga Audubon Society. So I'm excited for that to make an impact positively for the birds in our area. I am very balanced in my left and right brain, and I'm also very administrative. And I guess kind of the attitude that I approach life with is I want to make time for the things that I love. And so I'm pretty regimented in my schedule. Like I'll break my day down into like 10 or 15 minute chunks, just kind of in my head. Writing it all down would just take too much time away from other things. (laughs) But... Yeah, I just I make time for the things that I love and the things that I'm about.
0: Mm, yeah, I really appreciate that. Maybe just all of us just like we need to get better at that. I, I mean, I know I do. Luckily, now I I officially have a teammate on the podcast, which helps a lot. Mm. But just being better about that. I mean, now that I'm up here and where I am, it's impossible to stay indoors. So I'm like, it's just by default, I'm getting more fun in. But I I really respect that because I feel like we just it's so easy in our field because we're all so passionate that like Mm -hmm. finding a way to make ourselves take a break intentionally and not feel guilty about it and I feel like you're a perfect example of that and so I doubt that you know like you said very few people on here have met you before so they might not realize how much fun you post of skateboarding and like all this other stuff and I'm just like holy shit he's doing so much cool stuff and here I am like on Rewaterology's Instagram just like doing whatever you know um <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> so, I was like, this, yeah. So, I really want to take that time too because, you know, you're coming on this podcast. You have like a TED talk coming up. You have like all of these really cool things that you're doing, and yet mm-hmm. you still have time to go to a skate park and you still have time to dive and you still have time to volunteer. Like, I feel like we mm-hmm. all need to embrace more of that lifestyle, and you're a great example of that. So, so that's why mm-hmm. I wanted to ask him, like, how do you do that? Phoning for a Thank friend you. and me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I will. I will say this. You're getting the best version of myself right now because maybe a couple years ago, far be it from me to throw shade at anyone, but people that would just like sit around and watch TV, I would be like, Ugh, I don't have time for that. I have all these things that I love and that I must do, and I'll tattle on myself. I've started watching a little bit of TV. Oh, that feels weird to say, <laughs> but to intentionally relax. And, yes. You know, I've started saying I'm busy with many things that I love, and sometimes I'm busy with resting.
0: That was perfect. I'm busy with resting. Hmm. I think I need to print that and like <laughs> put it somewhere in the cabin, like, you know, like this big, like this a sign this big, like I am busy uh-huh. resting Brooke, you're done. You know how many times my husband has to be like, honey, it's 8 p.m. You've are you been up since like 530. I think it's time for you to stop. Mm.
1: <laughs> so,
0: I, yeah, yeah. So, no, you're a great example. that. You're a great example of also having a lot of fun and still getting shit done. Like, that's like, I feel like sometimes we just have a hard time balancing that. So, no, mm-hmm. I really wanted to ask that. And so before we move on to my last questions that I absolutely love to ask, is there anything about biomimicry that I didn't ask you about?
1: You know, there's so much that could be said. (laughs) (laughs) Um, The three components is really important. The ethos, why are you practicing biomimicry? Why are you going through the trouble of this? Biomimicry, everyone that I've met who's a biomimic, or that's interested in biomimicry is united in that ethos that ethos of you know a, a lot of naturalists a lot of environmentalists present arguments for nature that are based on aesthetics that are based on beauty and i deeply resonate with that but i think to the average person that is not regularly spending time outside that feels like they want nothing to do with going on a hike or reconnecting with nature You know they can they can watch some exotic species from all the way across the world on their instagram feed and it's just pumped right in front of their eyes you know i think for those people it takes something deeper than an aesthetics and beauty argument and so then we get into well the ethos of biomimicry really then in that light is predicated upon human survival for example i just saw a post on social media And I have to say, I don't know if this is true or not. I have not fact-checked, but it fits my narrative and what I want to say. (laughs) So (laughs) I'll just share this because it's fresh in my mind that bats are the only pollinators of agave. And why that's important for us who are over 21 years old in the United States, 18 years old or other ages, everywhere in the world, is because agave is used to make tequila. And so if we can make connections between the natural world and the things that people love in society and their everyday lives. If bats keep going away, no one's going to freely, in quotes, right? Because bats aren't on payroll, (laughs) pollinate agave and propagate that natural system that's working for free right now. And I fear that we are moving towards a future where we think that we can replace biological components with human interventions without experiencing significant drag delays, and dysfunction.
0: That was really powerful. (laughs) And I completely agree with you. (laughs) I think maybe another example that people might know more about is is all of our bee populations are declining Mm -hmm. and like how that has a direct impact on our agriculture. And it's like, oh, putting two and two together, that our food supply is now becoming more unstable because Mm -hmm. we're losing our bees. Like, why can't we just pollinate everything like our bees do? So... uh, as another example of that, you know, that is that is a biological thing that we have just relied on nature's natural processes to make our food. Well, I guess technically ever since we evolved on this planet, but we started cultivating it so yeah. that no, that is a fantastic example. And more on application side, maybe I just came up with this question. And so if you don't have an answer, that is A-OK, because I tend to do this. So you are in music, and I'm a podcaster. So those are like similar-ish fields, obviously. Is yeah, there audio production. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Is there a way for me as a podcaster, and if another podcaster listening, or maybe someone who produces audio in some way, is there a way for us to adopt more of a biomimicry mindset in some way, specifically to what we do?
1: Mm. So there are... The form, process, and then system level emulations of mm-hmm. natural strategies. And there there's also what I would call empirical and then metaphorical. So there's there are social innovations that can be extracted from animals. Like going back to life's principles, I think looking at how you are conducting yourselves considering, you know, what are the ramifications? Even, I would say, even if I purchase this microphone, you know, this feels like, "Eh, this is a weak example, but just going through it, it's like, if you're able to find, nope, I'm gonna shut this down. It's not going anywhere. (laughs) Okay.
0: But no, actually, no, I'll continue on. So like, for example, my microphone in this kit that I have now, it's it's with Focusrite, and they're leading the world on green audio production. Like they're the only Mm. organization that I have partnered with because like my vocaster right here, it's made out of 85% recycled plastic, and they also do everything Mm. they can to keep their products going. And so, no, that was a great example. And yeah, and I'm now really close with them. I've even had their head of sustainability on the podcast to talk about that. So even something that seems so far away as music, audio production, like how can that, Mm -hmm. you know, how can that be a part of this narrative too? And they're trying to find a way to do that as one example. And so because they are, and of course, I think more in that way too, they, they filled a niche for me, which that was green Mm -hmm. audio equipment. Like, cause that's so important to me and I'm, and especially someone I'm, I was a complete newbie. I didn't know where to freaking go to find a microphone, especially a mm-hmm. green one. Are you serious? You know? So mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. No, that, that was a great example going down there. <laughs> i just helped finish it a little <laughs> bit, but, but yeah, think, it, it, yeah, go ahead.
1: Oh, I was just going to say uh, another point in this, you know, we're talking about biomimicry but there are many other sustainable approaches and practices that aren't biomimicry, but are helpful and that are necessary for us to push society forward. Mm -hmm. Like you Mm -hmm. said, you know, recycling, that's not, you could say that, oh, that's copying, you know, the circular economy of a forest, that's recycling. It feels a little bit like a stretch to me, but recycling materials is absolutely needed in our society. And i didn't know that about focus right i have an eight channel focus right preamp that i love using oh and really I, I love that you just shared that with me yeah andy
0: land episode i'll look it up and send it to you he's amazing <laughs> but yeah no he's like the head of sustainability and so he's been working really wow. hard on getting their products greener and greener and greener and greener and awesome and everything but yeah their vocaster one is specifically for podcasters and it's their first like. It it couldn't be 100%. He explains like the whole reason why, but like they tried, Uh they're trying to get everything as much as possible. So, oh, how cool. We're like, focus right, friends. And we didn't even know that. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, they're going to be so happy that we're talking about them. I can't wait to tell Dan. Um, (laughs) I'll make sure I tell him. But okay, so uh, continuing on this path, if there was one specific piece of advice, that you could tell all of us listening, what would that be?
1: I would say this, and I'm saying this because it's spoken to me the most. It feels like there is a lot of pressure put on individuals to solve the sustainability crisis. And what we need to understand as individuals and consumers and people who are outside of boardrooms, we're not necessarily involved in the conversations uh, multi-million dollar companies who are making decisions about the products that they're going to manufacture and the materials and the supply chain that they're going to use. I would say do everything that you can to live sustainably and also understand. I think this is from 2017 that there are 100 global or national companies that are responsible for 70 percent of the emissions on Earth. Hmm. 100 companies are responsible for 70 percent of the emissions for carbon dioxide into the atmosphere and other fossil fuels and so i think as people who are invested in the future of the earth the human species and every other species we need to go easier on ourselves because there are other people that have a much higher burden than we do as individuals to change the trajectory here. Mm. So be good to yourself. Yes. And maybe find ways to leverage your economic and social power,
0: mm. mm-hmm.
1: however that may manifest in your life.
0: Yeah. I mean, the dollar's king. And if enough consumers say, we want this, well, those big businesses will listen. So, mm-hmm. slowly but surely, like for example, yeah. wasn't it Rivian? where I think Amazon was partnering with Rivian, mm. I'm pretty sure. To have the electric like, co- truck to, company. yeah, yeah. There's actually Rivian's around here. I've been obsessed with Rivian for a while. I've been following them a lot. And in Colorado, everyone's super outdoorsy. And so there's actually one right up the road right now. And I kind of want to be super creepy and just go scope out their truck like real bad. Uh, Cause I'm obsessed with trucks. I've always been, but I'm like now like a green person. And so like I can't get one anymore. But a Rivian though, <laughs> I can justify that or a new Ford Lightning or something like that. But going back to my point that I'm pretty sure Amazon, I think it was Rivian. I'll have to look this up and, and, and triple check about having a fleet that was green, like it was all electric fleet of some sort. So I don't know if that went through, but that was definitely a headline that I read for a while, because like I said, I, I followed that company and they even had like a, like a model van thing published. So just something like that. I mean, why else would Amazon go to, there's probably been enough people bitching to be like, yo, you have so many <laughs> delivery cars, like why aren't uh-huh. they greener, you know? And mm-hmm. so... Uh, Bezos probably was like okay well this makes m- more people are asking for this I mean even on that platform it was like climate change like climate pledge friendly products and stuff like that so there is pressure there and we are seeing it like you know with those certifications and stuff so yeah I don't quite know exactly like going back to focus right like I don't quite know if what pressured them to go down this path or if it was always in their ethos but obviously enough people mm-hmm. care that it's willing for the you know to hire an entire department just to make their company greener so we do have power there but yes exactly it's like the bezos and all of those people that are higher up that we need to keep pressuring that they need to make the decisions so on that what are your favorite resources for people to learn more about biomimicry and how us for us to live more in that mentality Mm. or learn more examples you know all the things
1: yeah so many things to learn uh i would say the best thing that you can do is go outside, walk up the stairwell in your head and flip on your curiosity, Hmm. flip on your imagination. Like I said, going out into nature and being curious. Every time that I go outside, it's like there's this new little nugget or treasure that I notice about plants or an insect and what it's doing. And it's like, there is such a breadth of knowledge and wisdom in nature and you just have to attune your appetite to that change your taste change what you're desiring and with your imagination walking around the world finding problems that persist in human society that affect other humans and that affect the environment you know we talk a lot about the human impact on the environment but not the human impact on other humans as well Mm. and i think there are just so many opportunities for you to go in nature and be curious and then go home do a Google search and then also to go through your day and think about I don't I don't deal with this but I see my coworker dealing with this all the time or I saw this happen you know this would be a better way for this system to run and operate and then like I said being curious and asking nature and I say that because the Biomimicry Institute has a great online resource that's a database of natural strategies and innovations that are already taking place called Ask Nature. And so you can go to Ask Nature, you can search for different functions and the functions are really what's predicated on the design because when we're designing, we don't wanna arrive at our final product too soon. We wanna know what the design does, not what it is. And so searching for the function and using that to drive your design process can be really powerful with Ask Nature.
0: That's a great resource. And if somebody might want to get a hold of you or learn more about biomimicry, and maybe even if they want you to come in and teach about biomimicry or something, what is the best way to get a hold of you?
1: So I use Instagram a lot for social media. On Instagram, I'm amm.wav. That's amm.wave. And also my email is andrewmichaelmetter at gmail.com.
0: And of course, those will be all in the show notes. But before I let you go, if somebody is watching the YouTube version of this, could you please tell me more about that beautiful mural behind
1: you? Yes. So I'm in my music studio right now. And this mural. God, it's freaking
0: amazing.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is a Lady Amherst pheasant. And before we started the show, I was telling Brooke that when I started bird watching, I was inevitably drawn to the most exotic, outrageous, colorful birds, and so this was one of them. I felt like it has every color of the rainbow represented in it, and it's the lady amherst pheasant, and it's only native to the eastern mountains of China. But it's being bred. It's about the size of a a chicken or another the common pheasant, and I wanted something that would represent the mystical component of nature to me
0: Hmm.
1: and so when I'm when I'm in the studio creating like recording bass writing trumpet lines writing a song with someone I wanted something that was beautiful and aesthetic and also filled with whimsy something that was beautiful and didn't feel the need to be succinctly explained but whose edges were a little bit blurry and it could kind of be whatever you needed it to be on the day to day
0: it means so much to you and it's beautiful so i had to ask i had to ask and of course every single episode is also put on youtube so there is a video component to this and i just like someone might be watching it be like what is that gorgeous bird behind you so i wanted to take a second to chat about that but Andrew, you are amazing and so much fun to talk with. I'm sure that we could go on and on and on because my brain is just bursting on this topic because it's so new to me too. So, but Mm -hmm. maybe that just means after your TED talk, we're definitely gonna have to blast that out and everything. But, oh my gosh, Andrew, thank you so much for your time and sitting down with me today.
1: Thank you, Brooke, I, I love this. I love having conversations and sharing biomimicry. So this was awesome.
0: Ah, what an informative conversation with Andrew. We'll be sure to keep you all posted on when Andrew's TED Talk will be released if you'd like to hear more about applying biomimicry's principles into our lives. If you have a specific question you'd like to discuss about today's topic, head on over to the Rewildology YouTube channel and submit your question in the comment section of today's episode. Some of you have reached out and asked how you can support the show. Well, I'm happy to share that there are several ways to do so. Some zero-cost ways to support the show, including subscribing to the podcast on your favorite streaming app, leaving a rating and review to boost the algorithm, which will present the podcast to more listeners, signing up for the weekly Reautology newsletter at the website, subscribing to the YouTube channel, and following the show on your favorite social media app. If you'd like to financially support this show and help us keep these stories on the airwaves, consider making a monetary donation at rewildology.com or purchase a piece of swag to show off your podcast love. At least 10% of proceeds from the show will be donated to our conservation partners. I'd also like to extend a special thanks to Heller Valley, the show's audio and video producer for making this show sound and look awesome, and Focusrite for powering the podcast sound. If you'd like to see the Focusrite gear we use to record the show, head on over to rewildology.com and check out Nature Podcasting under the Resources tab. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet. Hey, thanks again for listening to this episode of Rewildology. If you like what you heard, hit that subscribe button to never miss a future episode. Do you have a cool environmental organization, travel, story, or research that you'd like to share? Let me know at rewildology.com. Until next time, friends, together we will rewild the planet.